Hello, and welcome back to Scare of the Franchise. I'm your host, Tom Stabler, here with my wonderful and creepy co-host. One, two, Freddy's coming for you. Freddy, spooky day again. <laughs> I, I had like the first part and then I was like, I don't need a pun. The first part was so good. <laughs> I was even trying to think. I was like, Staken? Oh, that's kind of that's, vampires. That's, that's, but that's a good one. That's a good one. I, then, you know, Bacon. I just wanted to go Bacon. Kevin Bacon, horror icon in some eyes. This is true. Many movies has Kevin Bacon been a part of. Uh, also announced today, going to be the main... Uh, MacGuffin in Guardians Holiday Special. Oh, Kevin Bacon okay. as Kevin Bacon. <laughs> oh, I didn't know if he was going to be like playing his character from X Men First Class. Oh, what if the what if the first way they bring in uh, the mutants is by throwing a little slab of bacon on the fry pan? I mean, <laughs> who's going to be complaining about that? Nobody. Welcome to State of the Franchise. Uh, the Crypt Keeper had to take a little break from there. <laughs> but uh, this is our very special first annual holiday episode for Halloween, uh, where we're going to be kind of straying again from our normal format. And I know it's one that you and I have been very excited about getting to, Fred. Tis the season. <laughs> one of my favorite seasons. And I think a season you quite enjoy as well, the holiday season of Halloween. Indeed. It's the spooky season. I've got my pumpkin spice socks on right now. The listeners can't see it, but they're very fun. The uh, pumpkin spice latte cups look like pill bottles, which is very amusing to me. I thought it looked like candy corn. You know, I thought that at two first, but it's missing the tip. Yeah, like someone bit the tip off yeah. of all the candy corn. Circumcised candy corn. That's what <laughs> we're dealing with here. But Fred... Halloween is a very special time of year, I think, not only just for us, but for many. In fact, I feel like growing up with Halloween, it's a much different time now than it ever was even when we were kids. I mean, certainly you felt the chills of kind of the season, but now it's literally like people get amped for this near like mid-September. I mean, when do you feel like you finally kick into Halloween mode? Um, I definitely, my new rule, because I'm someone who does love the holidays of all shapes and sizes. Mm -hmm. I'm not big on Easter, uh, but oh. I will, I'm, hot take, I mean, our Easter episode is going to be fire. I will say that, but <laughs> no, but I do have this thing where in the past, especially when I moved out and I was on my own in college, I was like, oh, I can start celebrating whenever I want. But then the problem with that, something I learned over time is you get holiday fatigue mm. if you start too early. So by the time your holiday rolls around, you're not in the spirit anymore. You're not part of the season. So my rule now, rule of thumb is every holiday you wait till that month. And I think that's very generous. October, all fair game for me for Halloween. For sure. December, all fair game for Christmas. Christmas, you do get that thing where it's also kind of like the day after Thanksgiving, but that's pretty much the end of November. Yeah. I do kind of feel like there is maybe a hard and fast rule with Christmas because everybody's always been like, well, it's 25 days of Christmas, right? And, mm -hmm. and I, I always was like, that's too much for me. <laughs> I, I like Christmas. I don't love Christmas. Maybe not in the same way as you or anybody else. But I mean, it, it just when December 1st runs around. I'm okay with it. I'm ready to get in the season spirit. I feel like with Halloween, though, I'm itching like from the minute 
it's like first day of fall. Like, oh I'm, wow, I'm ready for them pumpkins. I'm ready for some spooks. You said in the spirit of the season, and indeed the spirit of the season or the season spirit, if you will. Mm-hmm. If you're a fan of trick or treat, there is literally the spirit of Halloween in that one, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Tom and I are from a time where, and I'm just making this assumption, we used to actually trick or treat. On Halloween. Yeah. <laughs> we used to do it at night. Someone brought this up recently that there is like been a shift some point recently. And I don't remember when that occurred, but they were like, we're going to do this during daylight hours. And I just don't remember when that shift happened. Yeah. And I don't, I've never heard of like, oh, all these horrible things happen during trick or treating. The only thing you hear are urban legends about, you know, pe- putting drugs in the candy and the, um, you know, what what is it? What goes in the apple? Oh. The razor in the apple. Yeah. Which, you know, um, there is a really good documentary called Killer Legends that explores these urban legends and kind of mm. seeks out the historical truth in them, which is there was, I think, a razor in the apple at one point, and it was a crime towards a specific person. Oh. It was like, I wanted to hurt this person. But no one's trying to, at least that I've heard, endanger children. And no one's trying to get rid of their drugs and give them to children. Well, I think that's the joke that everyone's been kind of making online. Or at least I've seen some people say is like, listen, the cartel, if they have fentanyl, they're not putting it in candy and giving it to children to try and kill them. They are going to try and sell that drugs so that they can make more money. That's how the cartel operates. Like right, they're they're right. not out here to poison your kids. You, they're out here for not great reasons, but there's not for that. So yeah, I guess if there was like if I had heard there's all these issues around Halloween and trick or treating, then I guess I would get that. But because I've never really heard it be an issue, I don't know why it doesn't function like it did did back in my day. <laughs> Maybe I'm just an old man yelling into a microphone. You mean you're a, you're a damn millennial, Fred. I'm here to tell you this. Which I am too, unfortunately. It's like we're part of that generation where we get to have it both ways. We get to bitch about the older generations, and we also get to bitch about the younger generations. Mm-hmm. We're the new Gen X. Yeah, <laughs> and the one thing that's constant is we're always bitching. <laughs> At least I am. Life's not fair. <laughs> but... I mean, we're here to celebrate, though, today. Halloween is a is a very fun time of year. And whether or not we actually get to trick-or-treat on Halloween night, which we don't personally. No. but We got to have kids yeah. before we can trick-or-treat again. That's right. Which I will totally dress up with my kids. Will you? Oh, yeah, definitely. I'm excited for the years where they can't have a say. And I get to pick the costumes <laughs> because it'll be going like I'm, I'm a big guy. I've always been a plus size guy. I always got to look for the plus size costume. Baby, I mean, even if he's a big boy, they're gonna, I'm going to find something to put him in. <laughs> well, I mean, if you do just like Grogu or something like that, you just throw a little like brown potato sack on him and paint his whole forehead green or whatever. <laughs> Heck yes. Yeah. And guess what? You can get candy for the infants and no one bats an eye. And you can't give that candy to a baby, mm-hmm. but you still get to collect. It's true. And you get to sneak a little piece out of there. Oh, while yeah, not just looking. a little piece. Before they get to count. That's mm-hmm. the big thing. So when was it then that you feel like Halloween started resonating with you beyond the childhood? You talked a little bit about during our Jurassic Park episode where you remembered as a kid that it was like spooky to you and you were kind of like really into spooky movies now, but when did that change really occur? Now we can dive in. Well, I guess 
I'm going to say with earliest memories of getting into Halloween was I grew up in a small town on a farm. You Wait, wait, wait. wait. You grew up in a small town? I grew up in a small town. <laughs> and so trick-or-treating was like there wasn't anything. So what we would do is we'd get in the car, drive an hour to where my grandparents lived because they lived in a neighborhood. They lived on Elm Street. Ooh. Yeah, actually, I think it's Elm Drive. But hey, come on. Yeah. It's Elm Street. Close enough. And uh, so it was a nice neighborhood. The houses were these beautiful small little homes all close together. So you you could just like be hitting them left and right. Nice. And uh, it was one of the things where I was, uh, my parents were very um, protective of what I ate when I was younger and mm. like wouldn't let me, you know, eat certain things. I wasn't really allowed to have soda. You can see how that backfired later <laughs> on in life. But uh, so they're very strict. But Halloween was no holds barred. As long as they could look through and make sure the candy wasn't open because, yes, they were afraid of, you know, it being tampered with. Yeah, I could. It was mine and I could eat it. And that was done deal. That's like, cool. that's why, like, I get, like, you know, you probably shouldn't give a child that much candy, but there was something about this is the night. This is like the purge, you know? <laughs> like, so, like, that and also my birthday is October 26th, and it's always tied into doing a Halloween-themed birthday and living on a farm. We had great parties. Like, we would do, like, making scarecrows, carving pumpkins. People would dress up in costumes. Mm -hmm. So, like, it's always it was always a big thing. And also, my aunt and uncle would uh, do camping, where if you go to these campgrounds around Halloween time, they do, like, trick-or-treating at the campsites. People set up elaborate tent kind of like spooky stuff you know wow. like little displays so it's as a kid that's like walking into hell because yeah. like you're in the woods there's adults like really like probably liquored up a little bit just leaning into it there's fire you know mm -hmm. so those are like the best memories for me at least that's awesome and I'll leave with one more. I know I said a lot, but I'm going to throw it to you. I also remember going to adult Halloween parties and being put up in the room where we're all watching like Hocus Pocus or yeah. something. <laughs> and they would let us dress up too. Like, so, but we're all just sitting in a room. They're th putting a pizza under the door and like just showing us Casper and stuff like that. That's kind of fun though. And like, that's kind of the thing that you'd want to do. Like, you don't want to be part of like parents just getting hammered and being like, <laughs> look at you. You're a little, what, what are you supposed to be? Like, <laughs> Boba Fett. <laughs> um, I'm still curious about this tents in the middle of the woods. Like, this sounds frightening. Oh, definitely. We'll just picture, like, a campsite, but then all done up for Halloween. Oh, my gosh. It was awesome. That's got too many vibes of, like, Cabin in the Woods or, like, Friday the 13th for me. Mm -hmm. But, man. Well, that definitely will resonate with you. I can say... Uh, I can see it. <laughs> oh, yeah. And... That's why I like Halloween. That was like my uh, gremlins. Like, that's why I don't like Christmas. <laughs> God, we rewatched that movie recently, uh, my partner and I. And uh, yeah, I forgot how ridiculous and off track that whole thing is. <laughs> and what's even better is that in the sequel, I totally forgot about like her story that she starts to tell about Abraham Lincoln's birthday. <laughs> it's just it's a great self-aware nod. I've seen one a couple times. I've never seen, I've never got introduced to the new batch. Oh my gosh. I mean, if you've seen the Key and Peel sketch with, if nobody has seen that listening to this right now, please do yourself a favor. Just pause this, go YouTube it, type in Gremlins 2 pitch, 
key and peel. It's just wonderful because it's all true to the movie and it's very on tone with what the movie is. For like, real. It's perfect. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm I'll probably do like a double feature towards the holidays because mm-hmm. that's got that nice uh the first one at least has that Amblin Christmas glow to it. Yep. And it's kinda got that. Yeah, like you said. It's kinda reminding me of something else. Sort of like Die Hard, you know, or it's sort of like you know that it's not really a Christmas movie, but it does have kind of that that feel to it, even though it's not an Amblin Entertainment movie. It just sort of has that, that yeah. It's that warmth. Glow. Yeah, it's warmth coming from the screen. That's like when you watch Home Alone, the first one. Like that movie just feels like a warm fireplace when you watch it. Yeah, it's just something about the way they shot film back then too, right? Like mm-hmm. late late '80s, early '90s, just got that that perspective very well, but. Yeah, I definitely remember a lot of things from being a kid and the weird, maybe even like not big traditions that my parents would do. I feel like they would have parties or they'd have people over, but I don't remember anything vivid. I remember finding photos of my parents at like my grandparents' own costume parties. They would have them over and they would go all out and do these huge Halloween parties. So I never got to fully experience that. Of course, my parents probably gonna like hear this and be like, "Well, no, don't you remember this and that?" <laughs> what I do remember that they did, though, Fred, is that we had a kind of a local legend near us. So it was called like the Witch's House. I know I was gonna save this for later, wow. but I think this is good now. It's a good Kickstarter here to get us into everything. But uh, this Witch's House, she was down right near like the lake. Um, all kind of guide you guys you know if it's near lake michigan there's a area called fox point so it's about half hour north of milwaukee and the whole thing with this house is that it was kind of like a, like a mini mansion of sorts but it had this huge gated yard right in front of it right and she has all these sculptures out these very odd sculptures that are just kind of standing in her yard they're all like human sized sculptures and there's just all this kind of strange art and my parents would always tell us these like ghost stories. We would drive down there and they would be like, there's this boat in the tree because her husband drowned in the lake or whatever. <laughs> and like, it's like, and then the, the waves crash his boat up. And so it just kept, like stayed in the tree as like a memorial to him. <laughs> and I remember we went down there when I was very young one time, like us and a few like family friends and, they're like, go out and take a look. Try and get closer to see what the statues are like. And I was like, oh, okay. And they started driving off after they let me out of the <laughs> oh, car. Geez. And I was screaming. Oh, I was like, no. <laughs> uh, that kind of makes you think. I know, like I said, small town, farmhouse, old farmhouse in Maryland where I grew up. And apparently they used to house Civil War like soldiers during uh, the Civil War because we were like 15 minutes from Gettysburg. Oh, wow. And my dad used to, like, say that there was a Confederate ghost in the attic, which was, like, the double threat. Because, A, he was a ghost, and, B, he was racist. So, like, (laughs) and the attic is probably, like, the scariest place in the house at the farm. It is, like, old. It just looks kind of like a colonial part of the home because it's not finished. And this is the the farm that you still have? Yep. In your family? Mm -hmm. Oh, my gosh. See, you didn't include this until now, and you've been talking about we got to take a trip out there. Well, yeah, 
I feel like next October, I know what we got to do. <laughs> well, don't let everyone know in our like party that there's spooky stuff. No, they might not all appreciate that. Yeah, I suppose. We'll keep them out of the attic. It's just the attic that's scary. <laughs> but you and I will go up there Hardy Boy style. Yeah, man. <laughs> Bring a Ouija board since oh, you've never yeah. done that. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about the history of Halloween, though, Fred, if you'll let me. Yeah. Since we are starting to get into some historical things, such as ghost stories from the Civil War era. So Halloween's origins date back to ancient Celtic festival of Samhain. And it's spelled S-A-M-H-A-I-N, but pronounced Samhain. Uh, the, the Celts who lived 2,000 years ago, mostly in the area that is now Ireland um, and areas of like partially like United Kingdom, Northern France. So they celebrated their new year on November 1st. That day marked the end of summer and the harvest and the beginning of the dark, cold winter. So, you know, a time that was often associated with, like, human death where, you know, it was dark because the daylight savings is happening at that time. And I think everybody's kind of felt like the veil of, like, the afterlife was coming upon the world, right? So they believed that on the night before the new year, the boundary between the worlds of the living and the dead became blurred, very thin, that veil. Mm. And so on the night of October 31st, they celebrated Samhain when it was believed that the ghosts of the dead would return to Earth. So over the years, Halloween had a bit of a transition from that. Roman Empire had conquered the majority of the Celtic territory. And in the course of 400 years that they ruled the Celtic lands, uh, two festivals of Roman origin were combined with the traditional Celtic celebration of Samhain. So... After all these years of combination and evolution of Halloween, eventually it made its way to America, to the Halloween we know now. So colonial Halloween festivities also featured the telling of ghost stories and mischief making of all kinds. So this is probably about the middle of the 19th century, Fred, that the annual autumn festivities were common, but Halloween was not yet celebrated everywhere in the country. So it was mostly in the area around Massachusetts, which... <laughs> We know some things happened in Massachusetts, in Salem, mm -hmm. as, as heavily detailed in the historical documentary that is Hocus Pocus. <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to say the Netflix show Salem. Oh. I don't know. <laughs> not seen it. I haven't either. I just know it's on Netflix. <laughs> uh, so I guess we'll have to hear from the, the audience on that one if you'd like to write us. We'll save it for the Crucible episode. <laughs> Yeah, that one's coming down probably in a few years from now. <laughs> <laughs> so the uh, European tradition of trick-or-treat came up where Americans began to dress up in costumes and go to house to house asking for food or money. A uh, practice that became the modern trick-or-treat tradition that we have today. So it doesn't really have a specific origin other than it was kind of something that might have come out of the Irish potato famine where some of the Irish who left were kind of getting used to that activity. So I think it maybe started through that. And obviously Ireland being the origin of the Celtic tradition kind of made sense that they would bring it back. So young women believe that on Halloween they could divine the name or appearance of their future husband by doing tricks with yarn, apple pairings, or mirrors. Oh, wow. And then it was in the late 1800s that there was a move in America to mold Halloween into a holiday, more about community and neighborly get-togethers than about ghosts, pranks, and witchcraft, as was built throughout history from those times in Salem and 
all this asking for food. It's kind of a sad origin for trick or treat. If that really mm. is it. <laughs> I'm sorry. The the potatoes have dried up. I need help. Oh, I've got you. Here's a butterfinger. <laughs> Is that Brian Cox? <laughs> it's a young Brian Cox before he came to America. Yeah. Get off my fucking porch. I'm Scottish. Shawins. It's a hard one for him. So, I mean, then the history in throughout the 20th century, I mean, kind of became as self-explanatory as we can see, right? People started making movies when movies became a thing. And that became all the horror movies we saw in the 60s and 70s, like Night of the Living Dead, John Carpenter's Halloween, which invented like the slasher. We have Exorcist, which dealt with more like demonic themes. And we've had a million spinoffs of all those movies. And so what we have today and where we can celebrate all the things we love about Halloween now. So what are some of your favorite things about Halloween, Fred? What, what's something you got to do every year? Um, definitely watching horror movies. Like, I feel I don't really want to watch anything else. Like, if a new movie's coming out in October, but generally there aren't a lot of releases of movies that aren't horror movies in October. Mm -hmm. But... I'm like, all right, let's find something scary to watch. Let's, you know, I want to like go and find like I had never seen Hellraiser till the other day. Wow! And I was like, I'm gonna watch this, and I'm glad I did. I also feel like it's my favorite time of year seasonally. Like, I like the leaves changing. I like kind of the grayer days. And my opinion about daylight is if it's not hot and like fun summer weather. I don't need long days. Like, mm. I'm fine with, you know, short days if it's 50 degrees or cooler, you know? Yeah, like, I'm not, not too getting warm, not anything too out of it. <laughs> yeah. I think that's definitely something that's great about this time of year, and it's perfect bonfire weather. Yes. Not today. We are literally recording on a very dark and stormy night. <laughs> it is. Yeah, and, like, that's the other thing. Sweater weather. I, wear, I wore a black Donnie Darko hoodie over here. And I also love throwing on, like, music like The Smiths or just, like, kind of, like, that sad, new wavy music in yeah. excess. Like, I like to just, date, like, I like to dive in. And I'll tell you this. I've developed a pretty nasty habit. I took a break from caffeine. I'm back on it now oh. with some pumpkin spice. <sighs> yes, I... uh I'm going to say it right here. Starbucks is awful. Don't go there. <laughs> this place, you know, it's still a big place, but uh, I love me some Dunkies. And Dunkies makes the best pumpkin spice iced coffee there is. Really? I think. It's just very, like, light. It's very, like, you taste the coffee. And it's $3, which today... You can't get that at a Starbucks or, you know, a cool hip place. Mm -hmm. Dunky's not cool, but it's there and delicious. And I feel also other places, sometimes the caffeine is like way high in some of their blends. Mm. I feel Dunkin's is a nice, nice smooth blend. It gets me through my day. I feel like what I'm hearing here is we might need to do a coffee tournament at some point. Ooh, yeah. Maybe a PSL tournament. I don't know. It depends how basic we're going to be about it. 
Mm-hmm. I, I like the idea. We should have gotten some like pumpkin spices, like lattes to bring in and like sample and blind taste test. Yeah, but what we do have is some nice mulled apple cider. Oh, that is yeah. cold now, but it was uh it was really good when it was warmed up. I think I'm a cold cider over warm cider, but I enjoy both. Absolutely. Like I feel it's time and place for all, but if I had to pick, I'm a cold cider guy. Absolutely. So we can't Ignore the shirt though, oh, that God. you're wearing right now, Fred, <laughs> because you mentioned you wore a Donnie Darko sweater over, but you have a t-shirt on right now and I'll let you read what it says. <laughs> it's like one of those list shirts. My, uh, my stepdad got it for me for my birthday last year. It says, it says flannels, spooky movies, pumpkin spice, bonfires, murder, you know, fall shit. <laughs> <laughs> And, like, I really like the shirt, and I like the, the gesture of getting the shirt, but it is kind of funny. Like, when I was in eighth grade, this was the kind of shit I would wear all the time. Yeah. Like, shirts that said, like, just black shirts that said, like, random things. Like, I hear voices, and they don't like you, and stuff like that. <laughs> like, I thought that was the coolest stuff ever. I remember I had a shirt that was, like, a pedestrian sign walking, and it was, like... Do you believe in love and first sight, or do I have to walk by you again? Just like oh, wow. these cornball, like wannabe funny shirts that I thought was like the height of amazingness. It's like all the things you can get at Hot Topic. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely rocked a couple Hot Topic shirts once upon a time, but man, not anymore. Uh, that ended quick after high school. <laughs> well, I will say, Hot Topic used to have some great band tees. I haven't been to a Hot Topic forever, but there used to be, like, I had some very cool Nirvana shirts that I had got. I remember I had one that was, like, had Kurt Cobain in the front and the back. It had one of his journal entries, and it had something, like, weird on the back, and I remember, like, a teacher ratting on me because I think it said the word rape on it, but oh. it just like said it in a sense, like not in like a weird way, but like it does have the word in it. And she like ratted on me and the principal like came over during lunch and took me out of lunch and he had me like turn around so he could read it. And he just said, don't wear it again and like, let me go. But I'm just like, how long did you look at this shirt that's a picture of a journal, like, of a, like, a sick person who scribbled, like, a whole page worth? You sat there and read that and then found the one word that you didn't like. And then, yeah. uh, teachers, man. Honestly, that's just kind of stifling art. I know, right? Even though, yeah, as you just mentioned, it was the scribblings of a sick man, as we learned mm -hmm. uh, down the line with uh, Kurt Cobain, R.I.P. But... Yeah, there's definitely a lot that, I don't know, maybe it's something that hits teenagers too a little hard and something that, I don't know, it, maybe it just stuck after high school for us, right? Like, mm -hmm. kind of going back to like, well, why why is it sticking so much? But, because it does feel like, you know, maybe historically it kind of did end at that point, right? Where it's like, all right, teens are really into like, ooh, where can we get our cheap thrills? But, and you realize adult life is kind of... Oh kind of dry kind of dull <laughs> right for sure and i think that's probably why i'm very into like holiday stuff because i feel it's like a touchstone to your childhood and you can kind of get those i feel as i get older though it's harder and harder for sure to like get in the feels of halloween or even christmas oh yeah for sure because it's like yeah you're just kind of beaten down by the corporate mm -hmm. world a little bit you know and you're nine to five or whatever it ends up being you know if you're working all day or night but one of the things that 
I know you mentioned before is you love a good movie. And I'd be remiss to mention that horror is having quite the renaissance, especially I feel like in the last decade or more. But it's not quite your your grandpa's horror movies anymore. They're very, you know, pointed. There's very a lot of political, you know, imagery and, and storytelling involved with it. It's almost like the people who studied from the school of John Carpenter decided to go and make movies, and now they're all like those artists in Hollywood now. Yeah, I think the the term that we don't like but is a thing is the elevated horror mm-hmm. that uh, we do get a lot of, but I think what makes horror movies in the past like five, ten years so great is I feel there's a place for every type of horror and there's directors making like your, kind of like a Jordan Peele who's giving you your head of your notes and then you have people who are kind of just doing these tome poems, kind of like I think Ty West with like the X and Pearl are very much kind of vibey, throwbacky things. And then um, I'm trying to think of a very current movie, but I can't think of one that's kind of like a like I guess this is older, but like I'm thinking like we talked about the other week, like Planet Terror, mm-hmm. something that's going for like the pulp and the schlock but doing it like well and with love. Yeah. I do think there is something in that, in the new Halloween movies too, a little bit. Yes. They're not only playing off the nostalgia, but it does kind of feel like a little bit of a love letter to the seventies. that's certainly something that I think you get, even with Rob zombies, Halloween mm-hmm. movie, especially is, I mean, all of his movies are a love letter to the seventies. Definitely. And he's a guy who like, I definitely struggle with a lot of this stuff. I always say he needs someone to write his scripts. Cause I think his movies look pretty good. Mm-hmm. Haven't seen the monsters yet. Not really. Look, I'm going to peep it, but I don't see me getting through it yeah. based on the little things I've seen, but I definitely stand for Halloween one and two. I think those are pretty good, especially two is kind of like not even a remake of Halloween two. It's, Rob Zombie, like, here's my sequel to my remake, how I would do it. It's a completely different movie. I think, like, two, the the original Halloween 2 takes place mostly in a hospital. I think he gets out of the hospital in the first, like, 20 minutes of the f- second movie, the Rob Zombie one. Oh, wow. I guess that's a more interesting thing. I think that's something I even enjoyed. One of the few things I enjoyed about Halloween Kills. I have to <laughs> table the the completion of that saga because I just missed getting to ends. But uh, by the time of this podcast recording, I will have gotten through it. And Fred, I probably have takes on it. Yeah, I think you probably have feelings about it, which is better than not having opinions about it. And that's been my like, I don't, you know, not my critique. I think that's my uh, plus for those movies are like. I don't think they're boring, really. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I'll say they're not boring, and they are unique, whether they work at all times or not. <laughs> yeah. But I do think you kind of hit on something, though, too, before, even going back to, like, a Jordan Peele, who is doing something a little bit different with horror. And, yes, you can call it elevated horror, but really what it is is there's, like, there's something more about, like, I'm telling a story that kind of has more poignancy to my life experience, kind of projected through a genre and i think that's where horror and sci-fi have kind of started to maybe outpace the the more boring you know like tried and true of whatever everyone else is trying to do and it's kind of fortunately comedy hasn't been able to do that same thing quite yet um i think it's only renaissance was back in the early aughts when you had a lot of like this like 
I don't know, like college humor, like the Judd Apatow, like mumblecore. Like that was kind of its like revolution where we're going to be edgy and not care what we say or, you know, about other people's feelings. And now it's sort of like all those people are like, yeah, actually, you know what? No, that humor doesn't age well. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems that uh, comedy is definitely in a weird place. But this, I think for this year in particular, like the good horror movies just keep coming out. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, by the time you're listening to this, Barbarian's going to be on HBO Max. It's on it right now, and I'm very excited for you to watch that because I feel that'll be, like, a good, just fun... That's, like, a fun Halloween movie. Yeah. I definitely am looking forward to watching that. I probably will get a chance to watch it over the coming week before Halloween happens, which Mm -hmm. is the day that this is releasing. So... Happy Halloween, if we haven't said that to everybody yet. I know that uh, we kind of jumped in. We got very excited to get into this. Oh, yeah. We've been talking about this for a while. Yeah. But I definitely like the the reviews around Barbarian. Um, it's impossible to think that the movie X, you mentioned Ty West before, came out earlier this year, and we already have this the prequel out because they were filmed back to back. Yeah, and I don't know if the third will come out this year, but it is coming and it's like it's like an 80s vibe that he's going for. Oh, interesting. And, uh, yeah, I'm definitely excited to see that. Yeah. I think there's definitely something to... I even kind of think back to um, the movie It Follows and just how that kind of transcended what I even expected a horror movie to be because you totally could read the themes of what it is. It's kind of making fun of, like, the whole, like, oh, if you have sex in a horror movie, you're going to die, right? And it kind mm-hmm. of, like took that to like a hundredth degree of like, there's literally like a walking, talking STD that is going to come and kill you. Like, right. It's a, it's, it's just wild themes and like ideas like that, where I'm just like, why can't anyone else find a way to, to package these types of ideas in different formats? But I don't know that it works in different formats Mm -hmm. because horror can just kind of be no holds barred. It's, you know, it's gritty. It's, it's like, invasive in a way right yeah definitely yeah and i think that was something that i'm even just kind of like reviewing the list again this year of things that came out um i don't know there was things i liked about like the new scream but i don't feel like it did something as it wanted to like (laughs) it's very self Aware, almost to a point where it was like distractingly self-aware. Oh, really? I found that more for the fourth one than the f- the fifth one. Yeah, that's the one that just came out this year. Yeah. So that one, though, I and yeah, what were your thoughts on that? Oh, I really liked it because I think this deep in this series, I also went at like I went with low expectations, and I wasn't even planning on seeing it. But then a movie reviewer that I like a lot, David Sims, gave it like five stars. And I like his, he uses Letterbox, and I like his ratings because he's not saying that's an 100% perfect film. He's giving it like, this is a Scream movie. And as a Scream movie, this functions as a five-star Scream movie. And I kind of agree with that. I thought it's really well acted. I, as far as the twists and turns, I you know who did it doesn't really it's not really important even though like i had vibes i kind of knew why we won't spoil it but uh i will say just kind of the twists and turns of the plot 
were actually more engaging than trying to figure out like oh who it who it is like i didn't know how they were going to tell the story and i really liked how they played with tension in it Mm -hmm. like to an almost comedic level yeah i'll give you that because i think when you look back at the very first scream movie and that kind of like relaunched horror in a way that i mean you have so many of these 90s movies that felt like they were like built with the same Legos, right? That mm-hmm. built the first screen movie of like you have kind of like this young sort of like WB TV kids in the movie of like Jennifer mm-hmm. Love Hewitt or you know Freddie Prince Jr. Whoever else was he in? He was in. I know what you did last summer. I thought so. Okay, thank you. Right, because mm-hmm. they think it's him in the first one, and it's not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, because and also it does mirror the first one because it has Drew Barrymore who's kind of a big actress and Jenna it's either Jenny or Jenna Ortega is like kind of becoming this horror icon yeah. in the moment because she was in X she was in Scream I think she was in a Netflix horror thing but now she's Wednesday Adams in the Tim Burton thing she kind of is having like this Jamie Lee Curtis run which is pretty cool that we're having that in our time like and actresses taking on like I don't want to use the term scream queen because like that's I don't know I don't like it it's hacky yeah but well, uh, I, sh- but a horror icon much cooler <laughs> yeah absolutely no it's somebody who is finding their voice and their their success through horror and yeah I thought that was an interesting way to kind of build that dynamic I mean she does kind of feel like somebody like Nev Campbell but Nev Campbell didn't really lean into that she decided she wanted to go edgy right away and do something mm-hmm. like wild things but. It definitely played off of the same idea that I think Scream promised when it came out of like, we're aware that this is a horror movie, but like, I guess with Scream 5, where it distracted me is like, we're aware that this is a reboot of a horror movie to a point where it's like, I almost felt like I was going to see like directors and people like walking on screen and being like, all right, all right, everybody (laughs) (laughs) go back, back to, back to Q1, uh, you know, markers and uh, we're going to get this started (laughs) because It just, it was deconstructing the movie so much that it, which was an interesting take on it, but man, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think it hit me quite in the same way as Scream. I thought the Scream sequels before that were pretty tired because how can you do a proper sequel to a movie that's like pretty much kind of a, a pseudo sequel mm-hmm. to everything, right? Like, yeah, I do, I stand by two, but, and people seem to like three a lot. I don't really like three that much, and I didn't really love four, but five hit kind of to me how um, the first, the David Gore Green first Halloween hit, where I was like, that's hitting those notes and like also playing with the expectation, like, I'm um, just to like kind of keep the scares intact for people who haven't seen Scream. There's a part where there's just like, they're, you're expecting the killer to come and it's following this guy through his kitchen while he's like getting food set up for takeout to arrive and it's like using all the tricks where it's like opening the refrigerator door and it's blocking the view and you know we know from horror movies oh he's going to close it and it's going to be there and the music builds up and he's not there and then he walks across to the other side of the kitchen he's going to the cupboard you think it's like a shot where he's going to be already there or something and he's not and then it blindsides you with something else and barbarian kind of has a scene like that too where it plays with like your expectations of whore and then it ends up having like probably like the one of the funniest scenes of the year is in barbarian i think and it's really? a horror movie and I, it's one of those ones where I think it's an acquired taste, but 
the joke in it. But if it works for you, I literally was laughing the whole length of this bit. Oh, wow. <laughs> so I'm very fun. excited for you to see that. I almost want you to watch Halloween Ends and then Palette Cleanse with the Barbarian. I mean, there's a very decent chance that might end up happening. We'll <laughs> I see. think that'd be the way to do it. They're both short, so you could do it. Yeah, I have to find a I have to find a moment away from my partner who is not a big fan of horror movies, so especially ones that have to do with uh, I don't know anything that's demonic or spiritual. Not mm-hmm. that's a non-starter, but maybe I could sell on the other one. We'll see, but. I do like that. I, I'd be remiss if we didn't mention this one because it's certainly one that I want to call out because it's one of my new favorites. I, I should say, or one of my most memorable at the very least. But you have a director like Ari Aster, and I'm fresh off of just kind of doing some listening and reading up on Midsummer again. But his horror movies really follow that line that Jordan Peele's kind of set up too a little bit of like, there's there's something thematically resonant in the middle of this horror movie and i feel like what ari aster has really done is he's packaged this idea of like grief and sort of like loss very well Mm -hmm. through the idea of horror where it's almost like it's a mood it's a meditation on that mood but then it's painted with like a horror brushstroke a little babadooky which is also Mm -hmm. (laughs) the babadook is is already like a modern classic i think that one almost was like more of a flagship Mm -hmm. than even like yeah, any of those other movies have been. Yeah, like because I feel like Jordan Peele does like the kind of social metaphor like that plays into a lot of his films, mm-hmm. and I feel Ari Aster does like emotional metaphors and kind of visceral emotional experiences. I I, I think Midsummer I'm excited to rewatch because I saw it the one time in theaters, mm-hmm. and I want to rewatch it with the expectation of how it's going to play out. Yeah, but I will say Hereditary might be like I think the best horror movie in like the last twenty years. I I think I agree. I mean, it's literally a movie that I am terrified to revisit because I was so unnerved and so. I'm not somebody who scares easy anymore. I think even when I'm like, oh, this is so scary, I'm kind of like, ha, ha, ha. That movie, I felt dread. Like, after, I I mean, even when it was over, I was just like, I don't feel good. I sat in my my theater seat for legitimately, I wasn't watching the credits. I was just thinking about what I just watched for about 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. And I just had no words left for what I had watched because I was so creeped out by every way that movie was shot. I was just, (laughs) just, so eked by every little moment that just kind of like you want it to end so badly and he just lets it grind at you it like it almost demonstrated the feeling of like going through like losing something or like going through grief like as a viewer because you're just like it's like it just cannot escape it you just feel like it's like a weight on your chest and you're just kind of like perpetually waiting for the next shoe to drop in that movie and probably like the one of the biggest Oscar burns ever for Tony Collette. Oh. I feel not even nommed. And you know it's just because nobody watched it, right? Like, yeah, and well, also the marketing was kind of a pro and uh, negative for it because I remember seeing the trailer for. I was like, oh, that looks like a fun horror movie. You'll see because they framed it around the daughter, and it looked like weird kid horror movie, like yeah. an orphan or something. And then when I started hearing the like feedback from it, I was like, oh, I got to go see this. And it blew me away because the marketing was not opposite. It was kind of, it was like the end game approach where it was like, oh, that was the first 20 minutes of this movie. Right. <laughs> and like, you don't even know the rest. 
Yeah. And I do like, I do, I think that's something always fun about horror is like marketing and how like the whole barbarian thing is like go into this movie with knowing little as possible. And I just, I think it, you know, can go back to like psycho, how they had like the ambulances outside and kind of the fake news of uh, like people (laughs) fainting. Cause like, I think there was some reports that, but a lot of that was like heightened. So people would go see it and want to see, you know, because people like that. Yeah, but I think there was something interesting about that time, though, too, of Hitchcock kind of knowing that his movie had that vibe to it. Or, you know, just to know that there is so much that kind of, like, twists and turns throughout that movie that, like, I love the story about he's like, no, theater doors close, nobody goes in after that because otherwise they're not going to get the Mm -hmm. effect. Like you want, you wanted them in their seats watching this movie, and I mean, Hitchcock really. I mean, he is kind of like the grandfather of horror, right? Or just or suspense, truly. I mean, Psycho, I think, kind of launched the, <laughs> the slasher movies as we know it today, but in a much, much more, I don't even know, subtle way, if you even call it that. Mm, I would, I would say, if uh, you don't know a lot about Hitchcock, it's not a great movie, but I thought that Hitchcock. Anthony Hopkins movie does a pretty good job of following the psycho story and it gets Mm. into like how he was and his issues. And it's also, was kind of like the first time I saw emotional eating, like in a movie, which was kind of like powerful to see. Cause that's like a thing that I think a lot of people have been in that position, whether they struggle with it consistently, but also of just using food to like, help yourself emotionally they have like these kind of like grotesque scenes but they hit because it's just like yeah i've been there where i've like hated myself and i'm like eating this food because i think it will make me feel better emotionally yeah it was like rooney mara in a ghost story right where she's just hauling down that pie like Mm -hmm. that is terrifying in the way that it's like oh my god this is gross like you just are like Ugh, not feeling good. I did not like that movie though. <laughs> I don't even remember it. Wasn't uh, what's her name? It was Remar and was Kristen Stewart in that? Um, I don't know if Kristen Stewart. She was in a ghost something that was kind of like it seemed like a horror movie, but then it was kind of like more of a cerebral thing. Yeah, actually, that does that does sound familiar, but it was not that movie. I know that this was the one with Casey Affleck. Um, where he's just wearing a sheet for most of the movie. And that's not an exaggeration. He's literally a ghost wearing a sheet. (laughs) It's, it's definitely different. It's just a different movie. I want to throw out one more before we close it out. Oh, please do. Because I'd be remiss if we didn't bring up the black phone. I thought was very solid. Yes. Uh, it was, uh, if anyone hasn't seen the black phone, it's based on a short story by Joe Hill, which is Stephen King's son. And it kind of feels like he probably would hate me saying this, but it feels like him doing like a Stephen King short story. And I don't know. That one was just kind of a fun time at the theater, too. Yeah, I enjoyed that one. And I don't know why it all hit. It just kind of worked because it felt like one of those. Yeah, it felt like a Stephen King movie or short story that hit a lot of the same beats that you're kind of familiar with but also kind of presented something fun it's almost like what i wanted uh dr sleep to be right yeah i get you yeah Mm -hmm. where it's like you know he's contacting like the afterlife i just felt like and we can talk about dr sleep i love dr sleep did you (laughs) oh yeah oh I, i read the book too though and i think mike flanagan's my guy so was that a flanagan joint yes it was oh boy 
And I also thought the the idea of using um, lookalikes instead of trying to do weird CG stuff like worked really well. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That movie worked for me. Really? I've even rewatched it a few times. I'll give you that. I guess I wasn't disappointed by Dr. Sleep. I think it just wasn't as... It wasn't The Shining, no. <laughs> which nothing can be. I mean, if we're talking about horror movies from over the years, The Shining is still another one that sits with me many years later. Yeah, Dr. Sleep feels like a really good Stephen King TV like presentation, like It or uh, The Stand, like those old ones. Yeah. It feels like a new version of that. It's got that melodrama, or even it kind of reminds me of uh, The Green Mile mm. a little bit. Like It's that kind of King vibe, which is totally different from... You know, Stephen the Coop, Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. Yeah, which is okay. I think mm-hmm. I'm I'm glad that they took that approach, and I do like what Flanagan's doing. I mean, his TV series. Uh, well, I mean, he did what House of Bly Manor and uh, House on Haunted Hill and uh, Midnight Mass. Yeah. Which Midnight Mass is one I need to give it a few years, but I really want to rewatch because I did enjoy it. But I feel like there's probably stuff to be had on a rewatch. Yeah, that's definitely one that um, I felt like when I was watching it, I was intrigued, but it wasn't like feeling like I was all the way in. But I, I hear you revisiting that one. I feel like now that I kind of know where the end game is, I feel like you maybe enjoy the journey a little bit more because that's really what it's about. It's about mm-hmm. that journey. For sure. And, I, I was oh, a little disappointed that House of Usher wasn't this year. I thought it was, and we got this Midnight Club. Midnight Club is all, is all right. I'm two episodes in. I'm not loving it. Yeah. Did you start it at all? No, I haven't. Uh, it's, it's interesting because it's like a, it's a house for teens that are in hospice. They're all oh. terminally ill, and it's this house that's been here for a long time, so a lot of young people, teens, have gone here and passed, and there's like a supernatural element, and it's kind of like a Harry Potter-ish, like they're at this place together, and they're Ooh. teens, but they want to contact the dead, and they're also all storytellers. So they meet at night, and it's called the Midnight Club, and they try to scare each other with horror stories. But the conceit is these kids are so close to death that they're the hardest people to scare. So that's like, it's very much like a Flanagan thing about death and talks about death a lot. But it's 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 lighter in a sense, too, because it's like kind of a teen mystery. Yeah, it's sounds pretty interesting, though. It's not what I expected it to be just from what I've seen from the previews or even what I've read. But Maybe that's worth a look. And some Midnight Mass people keep popping up, which is cool. Of course. You're doing like the Leo thing. Yeah, I like he's got players. Yeah. All right. We can close the chapter on movies and TV now. I mean, it's not like we're closed for good. No, no. I just want to make sure we give a lot of love to the entire season. But yes, um, I am curious though, Fred. So so what else about the Halloween time do you really like to enjoy outside of your movie watching or... Perhaps an occasional pumpkin spice latte, as you've already lined us with. I'm also a pretty big candy freak. Oh. Uh, I do love... I love the idea with Halloween. What, something that I miss about trick-or-treat is, like, I'm an adult. I can buy as much candy as I want. But you know what? I cannot buy the randomness of going to a house and getting that mix of different things, Mm -hmm. you know, because everyone's getting all different types of candy. Mm -hmm. And I feel there's something about like 
having something like, oh, here's like a, and I don't want this, a circus peanut. Think of a better version of that where you're like, I wouldn't get this myself, but I've got this bad candy, so I'm going to try it. Yeah. I do miss that from trick-or-treating, but we did this year buy a like $15 bag of like just mixed candy, and that's just been on the fridge and as long as it's after my fasting period i can have at it <laughs> and it's got uh 100 grands which i'm new into oh it's got some uh butterfingers babe ruth's and crunch that's the mix man i gotta say i do love me a good butterfinger i just had one recently after a long time not having them and i was like I think I slept on this one a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I usually go between as like my favorite chocolate is the Kit Kat to Butterfinger. Back in those are like the two that I stick with. Yeah, I'm, I'm a, not a Reese's guy. I am a Reese's guy, so we could at least split the package if we ever get one. Well, we know. that's true. But I will say I can get down with a Reese's pumpkin oh. or a Reese's tree or a Reese's football for some reason. It's softer. The It's a different setup than like the traditional Reese's cup. You know what I think it is? I think it's because it's less of a chocolate coating. It's more packed with peanut butter, and that's the good stuff. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you got to have the ratio of a good Reese's anything is more peanut butter than chocolate, I think. I don't think I like the hard chocolate on like a Reese's. Or like, you know what's, I think, a vile candy are those mini Reese's. Oh, I think those are just rough for me. Yeah. I feel like I'm never quite as satisfied with those as with like a bigger cup. Right. Or, I can or get the pumpkin. Down. Yeah. The pumpkin or if you're giving me a whole ass Reese's cup, I can get down. But I will say those little Reese's guys not into. But you know what I do like? Hmm. I, I never do this. But if I was like, say tomorrow, tomorrow's my birthday, listeners, October 26th. I'm, I'm dating us. Sorry. <laughs> well, happy belated birthday at the time of the release. Here, right. <laughs> if I was going to treat myself and go to a movie, my number one snack would be get like the medium popcorn and then Reese's Pieces poured over that guy. Ooh, I like that a lot. Mm-hmm. Man, Reese's Pieces are just... They're a little bit of a tease for me because I okay. want I want the bigger thing. But, man, it's like between them and M&M's, I'm always going to reach for the pieces. Yeah, I mean, I mean, if peanut M&M's are not available, that's my favorite of the small. But, yeah, yeah Reese's Pieces, I think, is my favorite Reese's variant. Other than I'll go back to the trees or the pumpkins. I think that's the gold standard for me. Yeah. So I have to ask one difficult question for you. Where do you stand on candy corn? I love it. I love I love a harvest mix. Isn't that what it's called? Where you have the um, the corn with like the different. It's like the different colored one that tastes slightly different, and then you get the pumpkins. Yes, my wife loves the pumpkins. Me too. Mm-hmm. Love a good pumpkin. The corn's okay. Yeah, I love and I love a dessert like a baked dessert decorated with a candy corn. I know that piece of candy corn is usually a little stale or something, but just the look of it. Like, uh, I'm going to a Halloween party, and one of the wedding gifts we got is an individual brownie tray. So it makes perfect, you know, nice brownies. And I'm going to, like, hit it with some candy corn and some frosting or something and make it look like a tombstone or something or a vampire. I don't know. That's outstanding. I Man, 
That stuff's underrated. I know a lot of people have a lot of hate for candy corn, but I'm here to stand behind. Exactly for that reason. You can make more fun stuff with it. Mm-hmm. Just put in a little like frosting dip or something. I don't know. Or big teeth. Oh, yeah. I love making teeth. One thing that I also love is a, bringing it back to popcorn again, a popcorn ball with candy corn in it is pretty fabulous. Whoa, I've never had that. You get that salty, buttery with the candy corn marshmallowy. It's kind of, you think of like a Reese's treat or whatever, Rice Krispie treat almost. Mm -hmm. So I had to ask you about something else though, Fred, now that we're talking about some some sweet things of the season. What about some sweet tunes? Because one thing we forgot to discuss in our last episode on Jurassic Park, and this was absolutely a miss. I'll take the brunt for it for now guiding us there. We must talk about the music. Uh, And Jurassic Park... I think can kind of fall in that category of pseudo horror action, right? Mm-hmm. But has some of the most memorable music, and we'll we'll play a little bit right now for you. But I mean that track, I think. Doesn't fall in a lot of like Halloween mixes, but you definitely feel that like there's almost kind of like a, a slight like uneasiness that goes with like the thrill of like I'm back at Jurassic Park. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's exciting and terrifying. And I was actually think because I knew that we were going to be talking a little Johnny Williams because we didn't talk about him last time. I was trying to think other than like Jaws. Or like a, like the Spielberg movies. Has he done like a straight up horror score? I don't know that he has necessarily. I mean, Harry Potter is kind of the spooky. That's what I was gonna say for uh, John Williams' spookiness. I feel he throws down some Halloween vibes in those those two uh, scores. Yeah, I think Jaws is probably his straight up like. And here's my thing: Is Jaws a horror movie for you? Not really. It's kind of just like a blockbuster movie for me. You know, like it's genreless to me. It, it's above genre for me. Yeah. Like I get why people are scared of Jaws. And it's a, it's a thriller. It's a, like a creature feature thriller. But I think in the same way that it doesn't necessarily bug me is in almost the same way of like, I, I'm trying to think of something that's more modern than this creature from the Black Lagoon. But you know what I mean? Like, where it's like we're running from like a monster. And I just don't know that I feel the same kind of like thrill that I get when it's like, oh, you got Michael Myers coming in your back door and he's not saying a word. Like, because no, it's a monster that thinks a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also, like, you could just not go in the water. <laughs> right? I mean, you have that control. I was just going to say, there was a movie that was really, like, probably not good, but the conceit of it scared the hell out of me was Darkness Falls. Hmm. I saw it when I was, like, 13 in theaters, and this movie was, it was the Tooth Fairy, was the villain. Yeah, I remember this. Which a lot of people laughed at, but the I, the conceit is this. Your, kid, your parents put your teeth under your pillow. Mm-hmm. If you wake up and you see the tooth fairy collecting your tooth, the tooth fairy will try to kill you as long as you're in the dark. So you have to stay in lit places. 
So if like, you know, your parents try to put you to bed in the dark, the tooth fairy is going to kill you. And to me, as like a 13-year-old, you're in your house, you have to go to the bathroom, you're like flipping the light in the other room before you go in, and you're walking through. And it's not a good movie, probably, because it didn't stay with me, but I think there's something kind of horrifying about like something so banal as the tooth fairy is like, oh, you're laying there, you hear something. You can't look, because if you look, you're going to die. So this thing would just like float over the kid like <laughs> and just like freaking people out like oh man that got me oh man that's I remember that movie but not that vividly I like remember seeing that movie and somebody being like oh that's over a damn tooth or some stuff like mm-hmm. <laughs> um I was looking through John Williams scores. I don't see a lot of straight up horror for him. It's a lot of like horror type theme mm-hmm. things. I mean, you have the Imperial March that has some kind of dread to it. You have like the Nazi March and the Indiana Jones movies, you know, stuff from like close encounters. It's a little more eerie, but yeah, nothing that's like out and out that not like, you know, you have like a John Carpenter who has like the soundtrack of, <laughs> My drives this month. <laughs> yeah. I mean, when you think of Halloween, I mean, not just like the movie, but I think even in general, that's like one of the first songs you think of, right? Um, you know, and like even some of his scores for like The Thing and for, uh, you know, like Prince of Darkness, they have kind of just some that synth. What is it? What is it you call it? Uh, synth synth. Is synth wave is kind of a thing, but I don't, I don't, we need Josh Randall to break down the different types of synth for us. <laughs> That's right. He would totally have a grasp on it. <laughs> but to get to that though, and have that type of like, I don't even know. It, it's just like, kind of like hits you right on like the, the tip of your like hairs on the neck, right? Mm-hmm. Like just like that. It's like, yeah, it's, it's true, Tom, that. Horror music can be very effective, and that's why I'd set up this little quiz of uh, some horror themes that I want to play for you, and I want to see if you can guess the film. Okay. Let's pull it up here. Yeah, I'm ready for it. This will be the first one. I'll lob you an easy one to start out. Why, Fred, I believe that would be Friday the 13th. You are correct. <laughs> All <laughs> right. That, that very familiar. Mm-hmm. And I think like a lot of people take that, which is very cool and creepy. But I also feel that piano, the notes in that, it's overall an effective score, I think. It is. It's got those strings. All right, I'm going to hit you with uh, another easy one, but this is probably one of my favorite horror scores. Well, Fred, of course, that would be the previously mentioned The Shining. Ooh, yes, yes, yes. Uh, I heard recently on a on the blank check podcast, I don't have the name, but oh, Wendy, I have it right here. Wendy Carlos 
who did the theme for The Shining, she did very few themes, but she did The Shining and A Clockwork Orange, oh. which has a great synthy score. Absolutely. Wait, her name was Wendy? Ooh. Wendy? <laughs> Light of my life? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, let's, do, let's do this one that's a little harder. All right. have a guess but i'm not 100 percent confident in it is it a nightmare on elm street it is a nightmare on elm street yes i was between that and i thought is that hellraiser maybe like because <laughs> you mentioned you watched it yeah yeah all right this is the last one and this one's very hard you might not get it but i was just going through enlisting and i just think it's a good one so i'm gonna play it You're right. This is very difficult. Um, I don't know. If, is it supposed to be actually difficult? It is difficult. Oh, okay. And you might not even get it. It sounds familiar, so I feel like it's something I have not watched not too recently. Weirdly, my guess is The Babadook? No, it's a good guess, but I will tell you what it's from. It's from It Part One. That's it. And um, man, that's a good one. I mean, that's that was a good good quiz, Fred. Very happy with that one. Um, I also have a song that I will quiz you with because I'm not sure you're well familiar with this one. But this has been um, a vibe for me that's not a movie score necessarily, but I find myself revisiting this one as maybe a new Halloween classic. So I guess let me know if you recognize it. Oh, that's my fucking jam. <laughs> like, people, you got to get into Wingo Boingo. They're a greatest hits album. Check it out because they're all bangers. Yeah. That has really, I feel like, started to resonate with me a lot more, especially Oingo Boingo, having known about weird science for longer than I should probably have known about it. <laughs> but uh, I watched that movie when I was a kid and totally missed a lot of the jokes. But finding out that that was Danny Elfman's band and what an impact he's had on Halloween in general between Beetlejuice and even kind of like the Batman movies in a way. Definitely. Right? Yeah, they're very uh, creepy Halloween time scores. And also, if people don't know, he does the singing for Jack in the Nightmare Before Christmas movie. So if you listen to Dead Man's Party especially, you can hear it kind of sounds like a song Jack would sing because it's about dead people. Yeah. Ah, uh, man. And I feel like the soundtrack for Nightmare on Elm Street, Nightmare on Elm Street, Nightmare Before Christmas. I mean, the soundtrack for Nightmare on Elm Street is also pretty good, as we heard some beats <laughs> from that before, especially, uh, what is that, Dream Warriors from the Oh, Dream one? Warriors is a banger. Yeah, but yeah. 
Um, Nightmare Before Christmas, I'm definitely feeling like the soundtrack is really resonating with me a lot more now and more of the songs in that movie. But in general, I just feel like Danny Elfman has really defined our childhoods and then beyond. Definitely. He's probably my probably my favorite in the top three of composers just because I think he does the best. I think I've talked about on this podcast character scores where his his character scores sound like their characters. Mm hmm. <laughs> They do. They, they're they very fitting. I mean, like you, you kind of mentioned the Beetlejuice anthem multiple mm-hmm. times, and I feel like now, you know, we can hear it in specific. crazy like noises and oh yeah and then batman's very like 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 ooh, there's a batman over there yeah right <laughs> i think that still is the score that i associate most with batman outside of the 60s theme which is just silly but <laughs> mm-hmm. um i think when you th- when you look at it though it really does feel like there's a lot about halloween that is defined by the sights the sounds but really i mean when we talked about it going all the way back to Samhain and and beyond Halloween is very much about the the idea of like the dead coming back to life or the idea that like the spirit world is kind of around us you know is the veil is thinnest on the world on this day mm-hmm. uh so for our coulda woulda shoulda this week we're gonna do a, a pretty special version of this kind of hinted at a little earlier but Rather than our typical coulda, woulda, shoulda that we wish Halloween would have done, this is could it, would it, or should it have happened spooky stories. (laughs) (laughs) So, Fred, we had a couple submissions this week for for some scary stories. And I know you and I have a couple we'd like to share with our audience right now as, as a fun little treat that I'll, I'll probably find a little backing track. How about I hit that right now? Ah, yes, that's the stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's get a real creepy pasta in here. Yeah. So do you want to start with a story or should I read one of our user submitted stories? Um, I'll start with a story to get it going and... I'll give it my best creepypasta read. Okay. You have the floor. Or rather, uh, you know, let me get some campfire sounds in here. There we go. Now, now, we're, now we're cooking. It was my aunt and uncle's house in Annapolis where the ghosts were first told. Oh, I gotta start over. <clears throat> it was my aunt and uncle's house in Annapolis that was haunted. It was an old house by the Chesapeake Bay. Inside, there was different farming tools that were used back in the 1800s. One piece that they had was a plow machine. The realtor told them that the plow machine needed to stay above the fireplace hearth or else strange things would happen around the house. And at first they kept it up. It was a nice decorative piece, but after a while they wanted to take it down, so they did. One day when my uncle was mowing outside, he saw a figure in the window he thought was his wife. He waved 
figure did not wave back, but receded back into the house. He finished up mowing, and he came back into the house, only to realize that his wife was not even home. His wife had gone to the store. They also started hearing banging at night, and loud noises, and temperature changing in the house, cold spots. And eventually, they put back the plow above the hearth, and it all stopped. Could it have happened? Epilogue, they eventually moved it, and nothing happened ever again. (laughs) Of course not. (laughs) (laughs) So is that same kind of like farm area as where you grew up? Well, that's uh, Annapolis, which I don't know if like people know. That's kind of like a big naval area, like right on the top of the Chesapeake Bay. So definitely an old, old area, and the house was definitely old. And so you know, a lot of history on the East Coast for sure, because that's where we, you know, that's where a lot of the like early colonization happened. So I feel and that was that bred a lot of ghost stories. Absolutely. I mean, there's, I feel like a grand majority of them came from there. Uh, but we also have some here in the in the glorious Midwest. And uh, our next story comes from Mike S. It goes like this. About 15 years ago, there was this place in South Milwaukee that was rumored to be haunted. It was an old abandoned glue factory that kids would always stick into and smoke and drink and do graffiti. Those types of things. One time, some friends and... I went there just to go in and smoke, take a look around. Nothing really serious. It was pitch black inside, so we got our flashlights and we all see this broken glass and all this kind of rick and rack on the ground. Mostly beer bottles. But I see this stairwell and we think it's the fer- perfect spot to smoke. As we're just sitting there and we hear footsteps down below getting closer and closer. Then, We hear broken glass being stepped on. It's close by. So we shine our flashlights to see what was there. As almost instantly, footsteps stopped. Years later, I mentioned to a friend that I had a paranormal experience at the glue factory, and then he proceeds to tell me damn near word for word the same experience that I had. Whoa. (laughs) Very interesting. But yes, Milwaukee... Has its fair share of uh, spiritual activity around here. Mm-hmm. A lot of uh, haunted uh, hotels. Mm-hmm. I know that. I know the Fister is definitely rumored to have some ghosts. It is indeed. I've never experienced it myself, but I have wandered around there, and you can see why. Definitely. A lot of athletes that visit Milwaukee complain about the Fister being very haunted like some people refuse to stay there even though that's like the hotel that all the visiting sports teams will go and stay at they're like nah Mm -hmm. this place is creepy yeah um a lot of basketball players have reports of possession (laughs) oh we had a mood going, Fred. <laughs> I feel like that just broke it. <laughs> uh, football players do, though, actually. Oh, uh, damn it. 
What about you, Fred? Now, do you have any personal scary stories? Um, I don't have any like specific experiences other than like I did grow up on a farm, and one of my duties was to go out at night and feed the horses in the barn stalls, and that was definitely some of the scariest stuff. Like going down there at night with just a flashlight. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the time, my parents were feeding stray cats, so I would go and like dump like a pile of food, and these eyes would appear and come like crawling over, and all these stray cats would you know start eating, and then I would proceed further into the paddock where there was you know an abandoned, unused silo. Oh, the man. horses are making loud noises. It's dark. It's dingy. And then, like, you know, say, like, a small animal, like, I don't know, a fox or something's in there, goes darting out, you know. So, like, I feel like I'd never had any experiences, like, that are specific, but I definitely grew up in scary-ass places. Yeah. I remember one time staying at my aunt and uncle's and hearing weird noises, and I think what was worse was I had spent the whole day reading scary stories to tell in the dark, and then I went there, and I just remember laying in the bed awake. Not be, I didn't sleep the whole night. Oh, and wow. that's only happened to me once, where I was literally, like, afraid and couldn't sleep. Boy, I, I've i had that happen before, though, of, like, kind of spooking yourself. I mean, I played um, a game that was based on um, the PT, the playable trailer, for uh, Hideo Kojima's Silent Hill okay. game that he was developing. And... So I don't know how many people out there are gamers, but it's a good opportunity to talk a little about games too, because there are some very creepy games. Oh, for sure. Especially right now with like the implementation of VR, there people are all about like no sound, putting in headphones, being in the experience, and like that's way too much for me. Like I can watch a movie because I'm looking over someone else's shoulder, first person. No, thank you. (laughs) But I would like to do it. I'm more afraid of someone in the real world, like my wife, like fucking with me while yeah. I'm doing it. I'm not afraid of the actual experience. That sounds fun, but the moment someone touches my shoulder, because I used to have one of those crappy VR headsets that yeah. you put, like, your phone in, and I found some truly, like, creepy, like, apps that you could, like, do, and I remember one time I had, like, I my hand out, and I was staying next to my bed, and I'm, like, going through this scary area, and my cat got on the bed and nuzzled its head under my hand while I was in the VR. And it like literally was the most scared I've ever been in like (laughs) the shortest amount of time. Oh man, that is frightening. But yeah, this game is a lot like a VR experience because it's first person. So like the playable trailer, I mean, if anyone's ever heard of Silent Hill, first and foremost, I mean, they just did a lot of announcements recently. For sure. That I'm pretty excited because I never really got to play any of the Silent Hill games, but Me I know either. about it. And there's supposed to be some of the truly scariest <laughs> games out mm-hmm. there. But um, Hideo Kojima, who's very famous for making the Metal Gear Solid games, has a very big affinity for like horror. And he just loves pop culture in general. Kind of like this podcast. <laughs> Maybe we'll <laughs> we do should a have co- him on. We should. I know. A friend of the podcast, Hideo Kojima. He's got a podcast, doesn't he? He does, actually. Mm-hmm. Now he does. He had Jordan Peele on yeah. not too long ago. Um there's very much this feeling that in this playable trailer, because it is a first person, and you kind of like see there's like this personal trauma going on with a guy where you can see there's like guilt over like <coughs> he killed his wife or he's responsible for her death. And 
and like you can kind of like get the sense that she's been like following him and as he's like going through he goes through the same hallway over and over again and slightly like slight changes that kind of like disorient you as a player it's a very scary experience you go into like the bathroom and like things start changing the tiles change colors or like the doors are not where you remember them to be or they're Mm -hmm. like the knobs are backwards or the pictures are upside down and like it's very subtle things and so someone made this game kind of based on that called uh, layers of fear it was fine you know it's a it's a creepy game but it was that disorienting effect throughout the game where you'd be going through this house and you're like kind of going into this mania as the character and so things start warping and like it's a type of game where on its surface you're like okay this is what it is but when you're alone and it's dark and you're playing that and then you get done and you're like trying to sleep at night and you're used to kind of like seeing a place that you're in that like is not where what it was when you started like Mm -hmm. suddenly the world starts to kind of mess with you a little bit and that's when i had a lot of trouble sleeping because it'd be like did i close my closet door is it open now i can't actually tell because it's so dark and then i like get up to like make sure it's closed and then, you know, it's like you get up in the morning and it's like, were those windows open that I left open? <laughs> and it's just that type of disorienting effect that I think truly terrifies me because it's almost like you've lost control in that regard, you know. Mm-hmm. So if you have the guts, it's a nice game to check out if you want to creep yourself out. But make sure you have people around so you don't lose it a little <laughs> bit. <laughs> but as far as like real life experiences, I've come across a lot of haunted houses i've been to the winchester house in san jose uh i've been to some local haunts i kind of mentioned that witch's house early which is not a real witch's house she was just an artist i don't think i told the the whole (laughs) (laughs) end of that story uh she was just an eccentric artist old lady um and there's the last place that i went to that also has a long history of haunting is where my first and maybe only true paranormal encounter i think occurred and that was at Alcatraz Prison in San Francisco. Ooh. So Travel Channel did a lot of that, like Haunted America, years and years ago, right? And I always remember seeing episodes on Alcatraz. Because, I mean, truthfully, it's it's a very dire place. Like, you send prisoners there who are not good people to begin with for the most part. But it's also, like, the worst of the worst. And then they're also in, like, this very soul-sucking environment of, like, you can see the city across the bay, but you can't get there no matter how hard you try. And it's just sort of like, just this like horrible circumstances. And I remember they were like, oh, you know, they would send guys to a solitary confinement or, you know, there would just be like stabbings and like guys who would, you know, get out of control. And there's like murderers and people in this prison. And I mean, there's a whole like prison revolt and that happened and all that. So people died in the prison. But one of the places they always said was like one of the most haunted was, the solitary confinement cells. And so they're kind of like right next to like an open window area a little bit. There's like a big cell block that kind of faces the outside. And so there's a lot of sunshine usually going through it. But um, I remember we were there kind of later in the day and I finally like came around and you do a self-guided tour. They give you like headphones or whatever. Have you done the tour? I haven't, no. Yeah, we definitely do it. It's right up your alley. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they do a great job now, too, kind of talking about the prison system more than just kind of glorifying, like, what a cool prison this was. It's right. not cool. It's mm-hmm. like, this is terrible <laughs> like, that they had this. But uh, it's a fascinating tour, mm-hmm. one of the best historical tours you can go on. So, But I went into the solitary confinement cell, 
And now they kind of have them barred off. I've gone back and you can't really get in there. But before they used to have the cells wide open so you could walk all the way in. And I, I just was doing this. You know, it's like six o'clock in, you know, in the evening or whatever. And I'm just like, all right. And like, this is creepy. And I, I just remember walking in and I kind of stood in there. And I just had this like feeling, like just one of like, you know how people always describe like, I just had this terrible feeling in an environment or something like that. You get that unease or the, like you said, the hair on the back of your neck. I got that like times 10. Like I was like, I felt this just like horrible energy that was just pressing down on me. I mean, it was probably because it was like a soundless environment, but also the fact that like, I just got so terrified that the door was going to slam shut and I was going to be like locked in there by myself. And I think I, maybe I just kind of felt the, the feeling of like being in confinement and they like almost like freaked me out. But I mean, I was just like, holy shit, I need to get out of this place right now. <laughs> like, I got out mm-hmm. of the cell, and I like, walked as far away as I could. And I'm just like, that is awful. It just it just felt like this bad energy that was in this place. And I don't know if it's necessarily, you know, like, ghost-related or spiritual, but it was this this very awful feeling that I've never really experienced just sort of out of the blue. So that's my experience. <laughs> wow. I think the only thing I can say to that is, Winners go home and fuck the prom queen. <laughs> the Rock. Alcatraz. <sighs> <laughs> that is a truly terrifying feeling. And, you know, I don't know if I... I still don't know if I believe in the paranormal or things, but those are the experiences that make you feel like it is true. It's not what you see, it's what you feel. Yeah. And I think that's almost what made it worse is not that I saw anything. I didn't see anything. I didn't like nothing weird happened other than just this, like this like feeling of like heavy dread. Like that's the only thing I can really describe it. It was just like this awful like energy that was almost just like get out. Like it was just, that was a fight or flight type response, like almost immediately. And so I don't know, nature maybe just has a different way, but, but definitely a very cool tour outside of that Mm -hmm. and solitary confinement. Enter at your own risk. So, coming up towards the end here, Fred, unless you have any other good stories you'd like to share. Um, No, I would just say you mentioned games briefly. I just wanted to throw out some stuff. Like, I'm a big horror game person, and mm-hmm. uh, this year and just a few months, I've played through the remakes of Resident Evil 2 and 3. Ooh. Really fun time for both. A lot of people were hating on 3. I had a great time with both. Um, I also played through The Last of Us Part 2, which is kind of a horror theme. It's definitely, like, emotional horror and, like, regular horror. Yeah. And then I always recommend, especially if you have the PlayStation Premium or Plus, whatever it is now, Dead by Daylight is a great way to spend some time. Mm. It's uh, got classic horror people as, you know, it's what's that? style of game where it's like one verse four online and you have kind of like your killer slasher monster and they have like uh pyramid head they have michael myers they have freddy krueger and then they have survivors and it's pretty much kind of like if you ever played that like tag in the dark when you were a kid it's like mm-hmm. that but a horror game where you're fixing generators to try to escape 
from an area and the use of sound in the game is really good you can mm. hear the thing coming because there's like a heartbeat noise and they're in first person mode the killer so they kind of have that more visceral intense view you're in third person mode so you can spin the camera and you have a better outlook of the environment wow. so it kind of gives you that like killer tunnel vision and like you know having the higher ground and it's it's just a really good time, and it's free if you have, like, the plus right now. So nice. I really recommend it. That's a good recommendation. I mean, certainly the Resident Evil games you mentioned already. Resident Evil 4 is an all-timer, getting its own remake now. Yeah, I've never played 4, but I'm just going to wait for the remake yeah. at this point. And uh, Resident Evil 7 and or 6 and Village are also great games that take horror movie tropes and inject it into the game. Yeah. I really like them. Yeah, Seven's the one that's kind of loosely based on, like, Texas Chainsaw, right? Yeah, Biohazard. And it's... I, I didn't even know it was in the same vein as Village. I thought it was kind of like a more shooty Resident Evil, like how Six was. Yeah. And Five was kind of like that. Kind of more action versus survival. But... Yes, Village and Biohazard are also good recommendations for a Halloween time game. Ooh, I'll have to look that one up. I've never played it, but I've heard a lot about it, and that's probably the most uh, glowing review I've gotten. So, mm-hmm. oh yeah, I would recommend like tr- start with Biohazard, and if and I think you will like it, and then play Village because they do follow a story. And I played it the opposite way. Okay. Didn't matter, but you know, it's yeah. good to have it in the right order. So, I just wanted to throw out some game recommendations. And then, lastly, I wanted to throw out that for movie stuff coming out, Netflix, we haven't gotten to open the cabinet. No, but Cabinet of Curiosities, Guillermo del Toro show, as well as if you like Nightmare Before Christmas, Henry Selleck, the director who did that in Coraline, has a new movie coming out that will be out by Halloween. So, I I haven't seen it, but I'm kind of recommending things without seeing it. But I feel like for Halloween fair, these are going to be good options. Yeah, definitely. That's a that's a couple good pieces that are going to be out there. I mean, I just watched Blade Two last night, so I got my <laughs> Guillermo del Toro fix. I also watched The Devil's Backbone recently, which was his Ooh. first movie. Not as scary as I was expecting it to be. A little more emotional, yeah. Was th- that wasn't his first one? The weird, like the vampire one with like the grandfather and the daughter. Oh, well, maybe or you are granddaughter. Right. I I thought it was Devil's Backbone, but let me do a little quick. I just wish I could remember the name of that movie. Uh, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. <laughs> I'm excited for that. That is the good Pan's Labyrinth is I think the perfect blend of like emotion oh, yeah. and. Uh, yeah, just like creepiness and did yeah. He, did he? He didn't direct scary stories to tell in the dark, right? He just no, he was the producer. Okay, his first directing credit was a movie called Chronos. Chronos, that's it. That's the one. Okay, I'm sorry. Devil's Backbone was like his third movie. That huh. was like his first crossover. It was still like a. Consider a foreign film by you know United States, but that was like his kind of radar on the radar movie. I thought uh, for like horror, but he also did like that. He did mimic and stuff too. Yeah, 
I liked Mimic. I didn't love Mimic. I feel like he's becoming a little more hit and miss in some of his movies that I've been seeing. But at least they're grand misses, though. Like I didn't love Nightmare Alley, but at least it looked amazing. Yeah, and it was acted well. You and know? I, would, I would say something similar about Crimson Peak. That's almost like the exact encapsulation of what Devil's Backbone is, where it's like it's advertised as this spooky thing, and what you get is really just kind of like a. A gothic romance of sorts, mm-hmm. which I feel like if I was, if I knew that's what I was getting to, I kind of like it because Tom Hiddleston does like have like the open shirt like romance novel like look about him, and it's yeah. kind of funny, but it also works as if that's what he was going for. It's definitely effective. So funny, funny enough, and I don't know that I actually realized this. I knew he was involved, so I mentioned PT before, right? Mm-hmm. Based on Silent Hill. He co-directed that with Hideo Kojima. Wow. So I think that's why it has some resonance. So the whole idea, the, the kind of long story there was that he came out with this. So Hideo Kojima developed PT. And the whole idea was that he was going to write this with Guillermo del Toro. And he's going to make this ultimate like Silent Hill, like spooky video game starring Norman Reedus. He had a falling out with the studio that made it, Konami. And decided to go do his own thing, which became this game called Death Stranding, which is a very... <laughs> if you know about it, you know about it. I just downloaded it, and I know I'm not going to like it, but I was like, I got to try it at least. I believe friend of the podcast, Joe Francisco, has described it as a walking simulator. <laughs> Great. I just had to know, you know, like I had to get my toes wet and know. <laughs> yeah. And it's free on the PlayStation Plus. Yeah, well, I think that's the biggest thing, right? I'm just confirming, yeah, Konami did make the Silent Hill games. So, I mean, a lot of fun, though, coming up. There's going to be another Silent Hill movie based on their most popular installment, which was Silent Hill 2. And then there's also going to be a real-life experience. Uh, it's kind of like, sounds like a real-life haunted house where you go into, like, Silent Hill. And you oh, get geez. to experience it. And that sounds awful. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know they did um, the Myers house for Halloween Horror Nights in Los Angeles, which I think would be kind of cool. Oh, man. Um, That'd be fun, actually, yeah. Mm-hmm. But I don't know, real-life horror experiences. I've heard, like, some they are very innocent, kind of like a you know a local haunted house, you know, that's, like, run by people who just are trying to scare you. And then there's, like, legitimately, like, scary experiences where it's, like, you sign waivers and they, like, throw you into, like, escape rooms. And that sounds... No, nah, I've never done a waiver thing, but when was the last time you were at a haunted house? Hmm... Probably good five years ago at this point. Oh wow, maybe more. Yeah, we try. We're not gonna make it this year because of weddings and all this stuff. But it's it's a good time. Some yeah. of the ones around here. I think the one last one I might have gone to was down in New Orleans. We did. Mm. Uh, There's like a three in one. You know, it was kind of it was good, but it was kind of disappointing. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know why. I just felt like maybe maybe I kind of grown out of it slightly. Um. I don't know. I just, I appreciated the production. I was like, wow, people put a lot of effort into this. looks great. But I, I thought I was more disturbed by some guy who was walking around like a geek, like with the crowd, like, like having people staple $1 bills to him than I was by anything in the actual. Yeah, that's weird. <laughs> I, I would be a little unsettled by that. Yeah. But I mean, like we go to this one, I don't remember the name of it, but it's like you get there and you, Ride like this spooky tractor, and then you go through a corn part, and then you're in this house, and then you get on like a haunted train. Like it's got all these components, oh, and wow. you're like moving from beat to beat. And it's like, 
think it's like $50 if you get the uh, fast pass, but it's totally worth it just to like drop the money and just go through it. And like, they have some that have like this one we got on this two tier tractor and there was like paintball guns like strapped to the they're like lined up on the second floor and the first floor. And you're driving through this area and there's guys popping out that you can shoot with the paintballs and shit. And there's like Aww. zombies running at you. It's like a whole experience. So that sounds pretty awesome. I think though. that's something we should plan for next year. We'll go to like a all out like experience one. I mean, are you wanting to doing a real haunted house or do you want to do like an attraction haunted house? I guess we could do both. <laughs> mm-hmm. Maybe that'll be the that's how we'll have to follow us up because we're leaving a lot on the on the ground here. We'd like to do this one every year. Uh, but we'll, we'll get back to some more, more movies. We'll talk about all the new movies each year. I think that's a good idea. There's a few movies that are out there though, that I think people might need to check out and let us know about, um, bodies, bodies, bodies. I have not seen. I have not either. I did watch watcher. Um, pretty good. Not my favorite. Um, but yeah, there's a lot out there. Men, which was, I can't believe I haven't watched yet. Cause that's like, Alexander, uh, what's the devs? Alexander, Alex Garland. Is it Garland? Mm-hmm. I was like, why is it? Why am I yeah, Alexander Payne? Days, 20, well, he directed 28 weeks later. Yeah, maybe it is him. That might be who I'm thinking of. Yeah, Ex Machina Annihilation. That's him. That's my guy. <laughs> some very, <laughs> some very interesting stuff. Good sci-fi too from well, him. And I think, uh. His, I think 28 days, la- 28 weeks later is kind of underrated. It's not as good as the first one, but the opening scene to that is probably the best scene of both movies, I think. Yeah. It's uh, Robert Carlyle just escaping, and he just, like, he force majeures his wife to the zombies. Oh, that's right. And he escapes on the boat. That scene is, like, chef's kiss. Now I remember that. That is pretty, pretty bad. Uh, but yeah, we didn't even talk about like a lot of other zombie movies that are in a similar vein to that. So we'll have to co- cover some of that next time, I think, lest we keep going on and on and on. <laughs> but in the in the Halloween spirit, we'd be remiss if we didn't leave you with some of our power rankings this week. And for this special episode, we're going to reflect on some of our favorite Halloween costumes we've ever worn. Fred, I'll go ahead and start if you don't mind. <laughs> My number three favorite costume I think I've ever worn was a <laughs> Super Mario costume that I did. I'm laughing because I got a whole bunch of people to do the same thing with me. My buddy was Luigi. Uh, I had a friend who made his own hat to be towed. Um, my, my then partner was Princess Peach. And I can't remember if anybody else did like Yoshi or anything, but I think we might have had like a little dinosaur that we were carrying around. <laughs> but uh, I was able to reuse that costume years later, and I had a fake mustache the first time I did it, but then I was able to grow a real one the second time. So <laughs> that was a lot of fun. Um, the second one that I was very much a fan of, I did, uh, if you've ever played the game um, Wolf Among Us, Oh, yeah, I've never played it, but I'm familiar. That it's based on the graphic novel Fables. And so there's the big bad wolf in that, but his name is Big B Wolf, and he's a detective. And I was able to pull off that costume just with some thrift shop clothes. And I, like, darkened my beard, so I actually had a, a brown, like, dark brown beard rather than the red that I grew all the time. 
And my last, my favorite as a child, I was the Green Ranger uh, from Power Rangers. Nice. I loved Power Rangers, and then they introduced the Green Ranger. Green is my favorite color, and the character's name just had to be Tommy, and I was like, my heart. <laughs> I, that was like instantly after that, I was like, I want to be that guy for Halloween. Like, I got to make it happen. I remember my, my mom and my grandma helped make me a costume because nice. they didn't sell them because it was still too early when that character came out. And I was also a bigger kid, so they needed to <laughs> custom tailor it. But it was <laughs> it was very fun. And I have some fond memories of my mom putting helping me put that together. So it was a great memory with her. Nice. What about you? I'd say number three for me, just because like I was like, I was probably eleven or twelve, so right age for it. I got like a nice official Halloween Express Austin Powers costume. Oh, awesome! I wanted it to be Doctor Evil, but I didn't like how the bald cap looked. Oh. It like freaked me out too much, you know. When I put it on, I was like, ugh. Um, so that was pretty great because I also got a lot of mileage out of because it was like the blue blazer with the frills and I would just like for costumes, like just throw that on and I had the fake teeth and it was just kind of like, a f- I liked any costume where I could like reuse the jacket or something for mm-hmm. something fun. Um, then these two are, they kind of echo each other. Cause I did like a back to back thing where I went as like eighties people and I went as Marty McFly one year nice. and I loved it cause I had all the layers. And if you look at Marty, he's got, undershirt like a flannel he's got like the big vest and he's got like the red jack like he's got all these components and i got every single one and it looked good i love it and then my number one when i turned 21 i dressed as bender from the breakfast club oh and i did that one great i had the fingerless gloves i had you know flannel the jean jacket and I went to a Halloween party at a bar. Uh, friend and listener, Steve Kuchenreiter, now like he works there. And I don't know if he worked there at the time, but they had a costume contest. And I had a lot of friends there. It was my birthday. So I won. And people at the bar did not take kindly to it oh, because no. they didn't, you know, like to them, it didn't look like a costume because it was just like some clothes and gloves. So I'm at the bar and I want a $100 bar tab and... We're doing shots with this bar tab. And all of a sudden I start feeling this like hit on my face and I've been drinking. It's my 21st birthday. I don't really know what it is. It's this little zombie girl punching me in the face as hard as she can. And like by the fourth one, I'm feeling it because I'm aware. And her boyfriend takes and like pulls her away and... I was just very taken aback. That's how mad she was that she lost because thing was, she was just a basic zombie, but she probably spent two hours on her makeup. Oh man. (laughs) And it was just the weirdest experience. Like just feeling like nothing. And then like, Oh shit. I'm getting hit. She was hitting you. That's awful. Oh my God. What a, what a crazy experience. Yeah. I'm a name drop Parkview pub fucking place is hell. 
but it was a good costume, right? So that's yeah. the... And the best part is the bartenders were shit at keeping track of the tab. So that I think I ended up getting like $200 nice. out of that tab. And I would tell them, I'm like, there is no way there is still money on this tab. Yeah. And they're like, says here you got $45. <laughs> and I bought like Irish car bombs for six people when I first got the tab. There oh shouldn't have been anything left. That's ridiculous. Yeah, they probably lost track. I mean, on Halloween night, though, too. How are you going to keep track of all that? That's a bold thing for them. Fred, I think that sadly brings us to the end of our our spooky episode, though. Yeah, I have to drive home by myself in the dark. I'll be right back. I mean, no. (laughs) It's been a lot of fun, though, uh, doing this first annual episode. Like I said, we obviously have plenty of juice left in the tank for more years of this. So we'll be excited to do this again with you guys next year. Uh, but lest we depart without giving any sort of shout-outs or anything else, Fred, any, anything you would like to plug or share right now? Um, No, I'm just going to plug the podcast. Keep listening. I don't really have any comedy stuff going on right now. Probably probably not going to book anything till then, till next year. It's just crazy times with honeymoon and holidays coming up. So just, just, just listen and re-listen. I feel if you re-listen to episodes, you'll find even more to love about this podcast i would agree with that yeah i'll plug the podcast as well if you have any thoughts you'd like to share with us write us at state of the franchise podcast at gmail.com we love emails we'd love to hear from you please send it uh if you're enjoying the podcast please rate and review us we're available obviously wherever you're getting your podcast right now but if you want to rate and review us that helps us out a lot to get our name out there and get more listeners like you who are awesome awesome people buymeacoffee.com slash sotf if you'd like to help put something in our tip jar keep the show going we mention it every week you know where it's at now we'd love to have it from you um but mostly we are just happy that you guys are listening and that you continue to return again and you get to support us as we are going to be coming up here on our one year anniversary fred oh man so next episode uh will be a little bit of a self-reflection um a little more just kind of talking about the show itself so really no no big topics you need to study up on for next next time um it's just going to be a a fun kind of one year anniversary and sort of a a kickoff episode for us to welcome people back or welcome people for the first time and hey thank you all for listening so far this year and uh happy halloween Halloween. (laughs) we'll see you then